Welcome to today's RAIN podcast. Uh, I'm pleased to have some time to talk with Tom Fox, who's an award-winning author of 15 books on compliance, ethics, and leadership, including Lessons Learned on Compliance and Ethics, which is a bestseller in the international law category. And Tom's also known for best practices under the FCPA and Bribery Act and the series Fox on Compliance. Tom also leads the social media discussion on compliance through his award-winning blog, the FCPA Compliance and Ethics blog, and he has the only podcast network dedicated to compliance, ethics, and business leadership called the Compliance Podcast Network. So we're pleased to have you, Tom. Thanks for joining us today. It's really my pleasure, Craig. Tom, um, some of our audience members may not be familiar with you, your background, your business. Maybe you can just give us a brief overview on your background and, and the business you're in. Sure. I uh, am a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for 35 years. The first 20 or so, I uh, was a trial lawyer, so I'm a recovering trial lawyer. Then I went into the in-house world and uh, became a general counsel of an energy services company. And in uh, that role, I was introduced to something called the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Uh, joined a company that had uh, violated the act, and I was part of a, a new team that came in to implement the compliance solution. We had a corporate monitor and very robust government oversight from that experience. I learned how to design, create, and implement a best practices compliance program inside of an organization. In uh, 2010, I, um, I left the organization and decided to go out on my own, focusing on doing exactly what I had learned to do, which is the nuts and bolts of compliance, putting compliance programs together inside of a corporation. Uh, and uh, that's uh, sort of what I do these days. That's great. And, and so Tom, just recently, I think the publication day was the 21st of May, just came out with a new book, The Complete Compliance Handbook. Um, so after all the other books that you've written, uh, 15, um, why did you decide to do this one? So, uh, Greg, for several years I've wanted to write a single definitive uh, volume on what constitutes a best practices compliance program. And I decided uh, basically to take uh, year 2017 off and uh, dedicate myself to writing that book. It really turned into a journey of discovery for me. Uh, as I was able to interview many of the comp country's leading compliance practitioners and uh, many of the, and several outside the United States as well to incorporate the most current thinking uh, of what constitutes a best practices compliance program into the book. Well, I know our members are constantly looking for best practices, but what makes this one uh, unique and special? So what I try to be is the nuts and bolts guy. I name my blog the nuts and bolts blog. Uh, the FCPA compliance uh, blog, it's the nuts and bolts. How do you do it? So I try to uh, be a practical writer, and this is uh, not a book with an academic or even a legal focus. It's designed to be used by all levels and expertise of compliance practitioners from the long-term, long-time CCO to the newly minted compliance practitioner. Uh, in 2017, we had two major releases of information from the U.S. Department of Justice on their views of what constitutes a best practices compliance program. And I was able to incorporate both of those two documents into my book. The first was released in February 2017, the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs. The second came out at the end of November, the new FCPA Corporate Enforcement Policy. So um, 
I've got the only book that incorporates both of those into uh, what constitutes a best practices compliance program. That's great. And and so maybe you can give us a little more detail on how you've organized it, kind of what, what are some of the, the chapters that you're featuring uh, in, in those best practices? Sure, Greg. In the evaluation which came out in February, the, uh, the DOJ really said what they want to see is an operationalized compliance program. So I decided to uh, literally take that format and use it. So the first chapter is 31 days to a more effective compliance program. The uh, 12th chapter, the last chapter is very biblical, 12 chapters, uh, is entitled a one month to more fully operationalizing your compliance program. In the 31 days chapter, I give uh, each entry, I give you one thing you can do at a little or no cost. Uh, to either create, design, or enhance a compliance program. You get three key takeaways, and it follows the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program. And the uh, 10 chapters between 31 days to a more effective compliance program and one month operationalizing your compliance program allow you to take steps in concrete areas. So operationalizing your compliance program through human resources, the role of the board of directors, compliance, and uh, 360 degrees of communication and compliance, but better third-party risk management, reporting and investigations, internal controls, innovation, written standards, uh, compliance for business ventures, and continuous improvement are all separate chapters, but once again, following the format of uh, what's one thing you can do this day with three key takeaways? So it's you can sit down and read the full 550 pages cover to cover, but you can also digest it sort of one month at a time, uh, thinking about each one of those different topics and areas as a way to enhance your compliance program going forward. Yeah, I love that, uh, the three key takeaways for each entry. You know, when we do these events or podcasts or webinars, that's what people are looking for is tell me the three key takeaways. but so how does, it, how does a reader use this book? Walk us through that a little bit. You know, that's a great point because there's a lot of things uh, that you can learn or you can know, but uh, what our readers, what your customers and my readers really want to know is wh what's the key takeaways? How do I use this information on a day-to-day -day basis? And so <clears throat> that's what I try to provide them with uh, literally each chapter is a one-month tutorial on how to create implement or enhance one component of your compliance program. As I said, you can go through and, and read it cover to cover, but you could go through and use each chapter and um, implement one thing you can do uh, for your compliance program. So when was the last time you as a compliance officer uh, went down the hall and talked to your uh, human resource professional about what they could help you with in your compliance program? One, that helps your compliance program, and two, it helps to more fully operationalize your compliance program, which is what the government wants to see. And so, obviously, from it's a compliance professional, it's geared towards compliance professionals, but are there other folks who'd be, who would benefit from using this book? Is it early in your career, later in your career? How would you, you know, sort of focus the, the target audience for it? So this book really represents the sum of what I've learned in my 10-plus years in uh, practicing and compliance. Uh, I talked to uh, some of the top compliance practitioners and really a lot of folks who are outside what you and I might consider the traditional compliance field to provide every level of compliance professional tangible ideas on how to more fully operationalize 
a compliance program. It gives every level of compliance practitioner a roadmap to not only making their compliance program more robust, but here's the, the real thing I try to emphasize and try to talk about as much as possible. When you demonstrate the value of having your compliance program, it is through making your company more efficient and at the end of the day, more profitable. And when you can show your compliance program helps make your company more profitable, that's when you'll start to get greater access to resources, uh, uh, increased um, authority within your organization. And that's when compliance will really become a significant part of the business of a company. When compliance can demonstrate through putting in place effective compliance controls, you're going to make your company more efficient and bring in a greater ROI. Love that last part. Obviously, we get asked that all the time about how we can improve the ROI of our compliance program. We did a whole series on that. What are some of the steps that, without you know giving away the entire book, what are some of the steps that uh, folks can use to sh- you know to demonstrate that ROI on compliance? You know, lots of times it's investment in people um, and then some tools, but but how do you demonstrate that ROI to your senior management? Sure. So um, there's a company called Ethisphere, and they, for the last 15 years, have given out an award called the World's Most Ethical Company Award. And they have uh, a lot of data about those companies now. And what they found is that companies that win that award have a four to five times greater uh, profitability than the S&P standard average, the uh, standard poor's average. And I thought a long time about that. And what I came to realize was that compliance, uh, they're not more profitable because they're better people. They're not more profitable because their CEO says, we're going to do business ethically. They're more profitable because they have more efficient internal controls. And that's really when the light bulb went off for me, Greg, because I realized compliance controls are essentially financial controls. We call them compliance controls, and we don't call them financial controls, but they're really the same thing. So if you can design a robust set of compliance controls, they're pro- uh, first of all, you probably already have those in your organization, and you're not calling them compliance controls, but when you fine-tune them, it makes your business run more efficiently. And if your business runs more efficiently, you can respond more quickly, more nimbly, and more agilely to market shifts. You can uh, take greater risks because you have a greater risk management program in place. And the example that everyone seems to really resonate with is you don't have brakes on a car uh, to slow down. You've got brakes on a car to drive fast. And when you have an effective set of compliance internal controls, as a business, you can move quickly and fast, more faster, if that's a word. Um, And that's what compliance controls can do for you, and that's what will make you more profitable at the end of the day because uh, if you want to lead in business, you can either be the smartest, you can be the first, or you can cheat. And if you want to throw out cheating, uh, you either be uh, the smartest or the fastest, and you're going to have uh, a large swath of business to yourself. Great. Great answer. Thank you. So you've incorporated this book. It's published now. You've incorporated some of the latest regulations into that and guidance. But this business, the compliance world, continues to evolve. So are you going to need to reissue new chapters every year, or what's the plan for continuing to update? 
So actually, I, I had that very conversation with my publisher, Compliance Week, and so I've agreed to um, at least for the next three years, I'll do an annual update incorporating uh, whatever the new best practices is because, as you probably observed, the only thing that is constant in the compliance realm is it is ever-evolving. Uh, the regulators evolve, the Department of Justice and Securities and Exchange Commission. Companies evolve in response to not only new regulatory scrutiny, but also uh, what's happening in the marketplace. And if you want to move to uh, a country that's perceived to be high risk, and you know whether that's West Africa, Central Asia, you name the country or the region, you're going to have to have a compliance program in place, and you're going to have to have a best practices uh, compliance program in place. So what's What's today's cutting-edge innovation may be tomorrow's best practice, and it may be next year's sort of standard compliance program, just table, table stakes to get into the game. So it's going to continually evolve, and I'm uh, 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 dedicated or uh, committed to helping the compliance pr practitioner keep up with that evolution. Super. So I'm going to pause on the book for a second. I want to turn to your um – blog and uh, and uh, and also the podcast you do and what are what are some of the hot topics and and like and the things that get the most commentary maybe on the blog uh, in terms of current issues that uh, that you're writing about uh, maybe you can spend some time talking about those sure so the um, I just started a, or my most I have nine blo uh, podcasts going now and the uh, podcast uh, my most recent podcast is Innovation and Compliance, and that uh, has really been extraordinarily popular. It turns out that a lot of people are really looking for what's the, the, the not the new new thing, but the new thing, and what will the new thing be uh, next year, and will this year's new thing really just be table stakes, as I mentioned, next year. It's not just about technology. It's about services. It's about uh, even thought leadership. So what's What's innovative now? What do companies need to and compliance practitioners need to be thinking about now, both from a company that might be perceived as a traditional compliance program, but from a wide variety of other companies that may have a service uh, that you may not think of uh, as impacting compliance, but I see a, a clear uh, application to compliance. So that one's been very popular. My leadership podcast, 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is uh, very popular, and, and I don't know – frankly, whether to laugh or cry to report to you that my number one podcast in 2017 was <clears throat> Branding Lessons from Count Dracula. I had over 12,500 hits on that podcast. So uh, I don't know if I tapped into the uh, vampire market or uh, Count Dracula really has some uh, branding lessons uh, for everyone to, to take into a pack, in, uh, account. Uh, but I guess the thing that um, – continually surprises me, Greg, is I really never know what's going to either uh, be a particularly um, popular article or really touch someone uh, in a way. I got uh, three or four emails. I wrote a blog post about uh, St. Louis Cardinals baseball manager named Red Shandings, who died last week. And I had three or four people email me that uh, he was a big part of their lives when they were kids growing up. So you just really never know what, what impacts somebody or touches somebody. Today I wrote about Rolling Stones album, Exile on Main Street, and people older than me were emailing me to tell me how much they loved that album when it came out. So it's really hard to say. That's great. You're, you're, you're covering a wide uh, range of topics, everything from Count Dracula to uh, the Rolling Stones there. So 
Um, that's great. And branding lessons right up my alley in terms of being a marketing person. So I'm going to go listen to that one. Um, when you get asked questions, and where, where are you, what are the questions that you're getting asked of areas where people are tend to fall down and need more help on? And that probably it could have been you know input into into the book. But uh, what are the types of questions that you get asked uh, to write about? So the um, probably the biggest question is really where is uh, compliance enforcement going? Um, obviously, we're now into, I guess, 18 months of the Trump administration, and people were, were wondering, would, would compliance really still exist uh, in the Trump administration? And from that perspective, the answer is a, a resounding yes. Uh, last week, we had uh, two of the biggest uh, FCPA enforcement actions we've had in several years, and uh, we've had several this year. So compliance is still going to be an integral part of every business process, uh, every company that does business outside the United States going forward. Really, the second thing is, how do you get uh, to this level of efficiency I mentioned earlier that can drive greater business profitability? Um, is it uh, technology, a technological solution? Uh, should we move strictly to technology? I think the answer there is we should incorporate uh, technology into the compliance solution, but you've got to have someone who can uh, interpret what the technology tells you. You're going to get numbers from technology, and you've got to have someone who, who can interpret that number. And the other thing is, how do I use the information that I, I'm required to get for the government? How can I use that to make my company run more efficiently? And, and I would give you the example of uh, the sales cycle. Uh, you obviously think about the sales cycle a lot, every point in the sales cycle. In a corporate world, the sales cycle might be something along the lines of uh, a company makes an inquiry or gets a, a request to make an RFP, uh, makes that RFP. Uh, they may go visit the uh, customer, potential customer, may take them to dinner, uh, may travel, uh, bring them to the United States to see facilities in the United States. And then if there's an award, there will probably be some negotiation over the final commercial terms, including pricing. Are those uh, commercial terms fully vetted within the company, meaning has a person with appropriate level of authority looked at the discount, if any? And then after the contract signed and you deliver the product or services, once again, are you uh, entertaining your customer? Are you bringing them to the United States? Um, are you uh, giving them any uh, gifts to demonstrate goodwill? All of those data points are things that concern a compliance practitioner. Yet a compliance practitioner does not generally have the ability to see through each one of these points. They may get information on gift travel and entertainment spend, but they may not get any information on the contract. They may get no information on the contract price. Uh, they may get no information that the contract is executed. They may get no information after the uh, contract signing and it's being managed. So when you can get a compliance practitioner to have visibility of all those data points, that gives the compliance practitioner greater insights. But now let me make it, see if I can flip it to why that's so significant from the business perspective. Think about if you took all of those data points and determined uh, what's the most optimal amount of gifts, travel, and entertainment spend, time spent responding to a request for uh, proposal, the discounts you might give leading to close sale. 
that's the kind of thing that every business should be interested in. And that's the kind of same type of data that the compliance practitioner is looking at. So when compliance can start to wed the type of analysis the government wants them to make to what I call this overall business sales cycle process, I think that's when the light will go off and companies will see this is why compliance can make us more efficient and at the end of the day more profitable because there's the only corporate function that is tasked literally with looking at all of these siloed pieces of information. Great. Obviously, a lot of information. I encourage folks to go to the, your uh, FCPA compliance and ethics blog. Um, congratulations on the book, The Complete Compliance Handbook. Maybe you can tell our audience how they can get a hold of their copy. Sure. It's available on the Amazon.com. Just uh, type in the Complete Compliance Handbook. And if you'd like an autographed copy, uh, you can buy one from my site, which is www.fcpacompliancereport.com. And uh, you can make a payment there, and I will send you an autographed copy. That's great. Well, I guess today has been Tom Fox. Tom, appreciate uh, you joining us and spending some time talking about your new book. And, again, congratulations, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Greg.